Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. God bless you. I'm looking forward to next Sunday when we have Father's Day. Uh, make sure you bring your friends along. There's going to be tons of bacon. We're going to have some dad's root beer, uh, and it'll be a party all around. Uh, but it's a great way to spend the summer because I know those of us who, like myself, have gone through graduations this last week and ended school are looking forward to a relaxing summer. But hold to that discipline of weekly worship. Hold to that, that custom of gathering with the people of God every Sunday morning for worship uh, and... Uh, Let's see where God leads us through the course of the summer, because we're going to start a new series called Encountering God, in which we look at the way the faith is meant to be experienced, because a lot of people walk around with a secondhand experience of faith. They walk around with a, uh, an experience like, uh, yeah, my, you know, my parents had faith, and the people at church have faith, and I, you know, I guess it's all true. I believe in it, but... Uh, I don't, really, I don't really experience anything. Other people do that, and it, that's fine. I'll just uh, I'll go along with other people's experience and trust that that's, that's true and real. And we, we have a secondhand experience of faith, but I think God really wants us to have a firsthand experience of faith. I think God wants us to encounter him, to enter into his presence and feel his spirit move and, and feel that, that call of his love on our lives that moves us out of brokenness and into wholeness. And so through the course of this summer, we're going to be uh, in the midst of a series called Encountering God, in which we look at some first-hand experiences of God in the Scripture and pursue first-hand experiences of God uh, ourselves. Uh, I was thinking about this this last week. Uh, I actually went to two graduations this last week. Uh, on, on Tuesday, I went to the kindergarten graduation at Real Life Preschool, and I got to see all of our kindergartners graduate, and their parents got to you know, note, note that time is passing. And then uh, the next day on, uh, on Wednesday, I went to my daughter's high school graduation. She finished. She's, she's uh, walked across the stage and received her diploma. And, and I was thinking about this actually on Tuesday when I'm sitting at the kindergarten graduation, I was sitting in the same room that I was sitting in 13 years ago when my daughter graduated from that very kindergarten. Our church now owns the preschool that my kids went to more than a decade ago when they were little. And I remember uh, sitting there 13 years ago and watching her graduate from kindergarten, and, and I, I would have had no idea. I would have had no inclination that 13 years later I would have started a new church and that church would have become the owners of the very preschool that my daughter was graduating from. And, and, and I, had to, I have to think that God... At that moment, 13 years ago, watching me sit in that very same room where I would one day be the pastor of the church that owned that building, watching other people's kids graduate, I had to think that, that 13 years ago, God was sitting there and giggling at the irony of that, that I was sitting in that room having no idea what the importance of that room uh, would mean in the future. You hear this Glendora people over there? That's the room I was sitting in. And so, so then on, on Wednesday... Uh, I watched my daughter graduate from high school uh, 13 years later now. And uh, the, the 
the distance in time between her graduation from kindergarten and her graduation from high school was about this, feels like the same distance in time between Tuesday's kindergarten graduation and Wednesday's high school graduation. It just went by in a day. Uh, and, and I have to think that I can look now, I can now look back at, at all we've been through from, through the course of her life. I can look back from graduation to graduation and think about how ironic it is that I didn't know back then what I would know now, what I would be experiencing now. God did know. I can laugh now at the irony that 13 years ago I was sitting in a room watching her graduate and now our church uh, owns that room. And God was laughing at the irony back then. I get to laugh at it now. Uh, I get to share in God's joy now, retrospectively, because I can now see where we were going. He saw it in advance and I can only see it backwards. It makes me wonder if God isn't having that kind of experience all the time. If he doesn't look at my life right now talking to you and think, you have no idea what's coming in your future. You have no idea what I have planned for you. There are bigger experiences down the road than you have yet had, and I have those saved for you, and I'm waiting for the day where you get to see that I had this plan for you all along. The day will come where you look back and laugh because you didn't realize what was coming, and I did. And I want to have more of those experiences where I feel like I'm sharing in God's joy because I get to enjoy something that he's planned for me and I now see it unfolding. I now know that back then he had plans that I didn't know about. And I hope, I hope you're experiencing that too. I hope you're walking through life, finding moments where you go, oh, thank you, God. I had no idea you had this plan. You were thinking of me long ago. I have no idea what you have planned for the future, but I bet it's good. So I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to uh, walk away from things. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to end life. I'm going to pursue God because God has things planned for my future that he and I will get to giggle about when we're both aware of it down the line. I want to have more experiences of encountering God. And that's what we're going to pursue in this series. So, uh, so yeah, keep it the discipline of weekly worship. Keep it the discipline of daily prayer and the study of scriptures and invite friends along to join our community here. Next, next Sunday, Father's Day is a great weekend to invite friends to. So if you got somebody that you love uh, who needs to encounter God themselves, invite them to church next weekend. Just tell them it's all about the bacon. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that you have been planning things for us that have brought us to this moment. And it was when we look back over the, the expanse of our lives, we can see your hand at work. So I now thank you in advance for the things that you already have planned for our futures. I know the day will come where we can look back and see what you were doing today. It's, it's veiled to us today, but the day will come where it's clear. And so I thank you for what you're already doing and already have planned. Touch the hearts of those who are ready to give up, who are afraid that your plans for them have not been good enough. And may they live into the hope of your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Today, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples went to him and said, how should we pray? And he answered the question, here's how to pray. Uh, and when I read this, uh, this prayer, which we're gonna read together, uh, I, you know, I've never really honed in on what Jesus was doing here. And as I studied this prayer, I realized this prayer is amazing. 
and it, it holds together in a powerful way that invites us to encounter God. This prayer is all about encountering God. And so with this prayer, we're gonna begin our teaching series. So uh, open with me if you would. I want you to follow along. The, the Lord's Prayer appears in two different places in Matthew chapter six and Luke 11. We're gonna look at the passage in Matthew chapter six. And wherever you are, if you're at home, if you're at the Glendora campus, if you're in the chapel, uh, we're gonna read this together aloud. So I want you to ha have it in front of you, look at it. I think we're gonna put it up on all the screens we have control over. And uh, I want you to read from Matthew chapter six. Uh, it starts in verse nine, and it's uh, the, the prayer that begins, our Father. So here we go, let's read together. Now this might not be the way you memorized it. This is the way it appears in this particular biblical text. So follow along, along in the text. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's how it's written. And I heard some of you start in with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for, yeah, but it's not in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, now, this is a, a, a brilliant and powerful prayer. And when you first read it, it, it looks like a series of just random bullet points. When I, when I first read this prayer, when I learned to memorize it as a kid and recited it in church, I grew up in one of those churches that recite this once a month or however often we would. And, and I, I never understood how it held together because you look at it, it says, our father who art in heaven, whatever, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, hallowed is, a, is a word that we don't use that much. I heard it this week in graduation week because someone referred to the hallowed halls of the high school, but it just means holy or honored, right? Honored be your name, holy be your name. So I've always looked at this and thought, well, this is just the dear God section. Dear God, and that's all it is. It's just a, kind of a cursory, polite, dear God, up there, wherever you are, you're great. Let's get on with this prayer. And then the second one is, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think, oh, that's okay, that's good. I don't know what it means, but God's kingdom come to earth. I don't know what that looks like. I have no concept of, of where that's going, but it sounds good. And it's got that little alliteration in there, kingdom come. It sounds good. That kingdom come, that will be done. So I, I like it, but that's it. Okay, and then I just move on to the next bullet point. Um, uh, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What has that got to do with anything? We were just talking about God's kingdom coming to the earth, and now it's like, I need some bread. It's small. It's petty. And when you're asking for bread, uh, I understand, you know, in the, in the ancient world, in Jesus' world, 80% of your daily calories came from bread. So it was, it was the staple. But when we pray for bread today, we sound like, we sound like a homeless person saying, I just, I just need a crust of bread. I don't have any food. It sounds so meager. Give us this day our daily bread. And it, it sounds limited. Like, I, why, I, want, you know, I, want to, I have to pay for college. I have to, I have to retire one day. I, I need more than just bread for today. It, and it's such a random point. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with what's come before it. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What has that got to do with bread? We're just doing bullet points here. These have no sequence here. And why debts? Because some people I know grew up saying trespasses. That's in the Catholic church. 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is probably the worst translation of this that you could get. Some churches changed it and just said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's not actually what this text says either. But my point here is it has nothing to do with anything that's come for it. We're going from kingdom come to bread to now we're on debts. We're just going through a, a bullet point list. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, okay, that, that seems, like a, seems like a good thing. Again, nothing to do with debts, nothing to do with bread. But if we're going to make a bullet point list of things to say to God, this sounds as good as anything. Uh, and then we say in church, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And in some of your Bibles, it might have that in a footnote down there. That text, that line did not exist in the Bible for about the first five or six centuries. Even Augustine of Hippo did not include that in his recitation of the Lord's Prayer. So that was added later by somebody who felt like there needed to be a, an exclamation point at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And we just acknowledge that as something the church added into the prayer and the way we recite it, but it is not in the biblical text. So I read this, and I'm just kind of baffled by this list of bullet points. And I, I, as a kid, I memorized it. I learned to recite it. I probably got a badge in Sunday school for reciting it at some point. You should memorize it. But what's amazing about this prayer is that it's incredibly coherent. It all holds together. It is not a random list of bullet points. Each one feeds into the next. And if we stop and dwell on this prayer, we will realize that Jesus through this prayer has taught us to ask for a powerful encounter with the God of all creation. This is an incredible prayer. Let's talk about what Jesus is doing. First of all, we know from the, the Talmud that it was a common practice in the ancient world for disciples of a rabbi to ask him, how do we pray? What should we pray for? Teach us a prayer that we recite, one that we hold in our hearts. And different rabbis taught different prayers. And each of the prayers sort of reflects the tendencies of that particular rabbi. So Rabbi Yohanan, uh, who is uh, known for being gracious, left a prayer asking that God's mercy and kindness would be the first of all his attributes in the way he dealt with us. God, if you're going to deal with us any, in any way at all, don't forget you are merciful and kind. Focus on that first. Because this rabbi was a particularly merciful and kind person. Uh, a rabbi named Eleazar, who is known for being punctual to prayer, taught his disciples to pray, may we rise early to receive the desires of our hearts. <laughs> he, he left his disciples a prayer saying, God, make sure we get up on time. See, I would have never followed that rabbi. I would follow the rabbi that said, Lord, help us sleep in late and have a good coffee today. That rabbi I would dedicate myself to. But, uh, uh, but Rabbi Eleazar was punctual, and so he left a prayer teaching his disciples to be punctual. And Jesus left us the Our Father, which means it is a mark of who he is as a rabbi. There are distinctives of this prayer that tell us about what he was trying to teach. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, that actually is reminiscent of another passage in Scripture. There's another moment in the Scripture where people gather around God and say, holy is your name. Do you know where it is? 
It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 4. John is seeing a vision of heaven, and in in heaven he sees that all the angels and the elders and the, the constellations of the sky are gathered around God. In Revelation 4, it says, After this I looked, looked up into heaven, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once... I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now the person on the throne in the center of heaven, in the center of the universe is Jesus. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man and the fourth was a flying eagle. Now, in the ancient Babylonian uh, astrology, these were the four constellations that were at the corners of the sky. Uh, There was uh, Taurus the bull, Leo the lion, Aquarius the man, and what we today call Scorpio in the ancient world was perceived to be an eagle. So any first century reader would have said, oh, you're talking about the constellations with eyes in front and in back. It sounds like the little stars twinkling in the constellations. And, And what... What the vision is showing to John is that that all the universe gathers around the throne of Jesus. All the universe is focused on him. He's the center of it all. Each of the four living creatures has six wings and is covered with eyes all around, like stars, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. So this is what's going on. Jesus begins his prayer inviting us to join the universe which recognizes and acknowledges that Jesus is at the center of everything. All the universe knows that he is the king, the creator, the designer, the sustainer, and the final judge in the end. When he goes into Jerusalem at the end of his life, he says, if people stop cheering for me, the rocks will cry out because the rocks themselves know who I am. The constellations at the corner of the universe know who I am. I am at the center of it all. We, in the Lord's Prayer, are invited to step into the the glory of the heavens that see reality the way it is and join the constellations and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallowed be thy name. The, The opening line of the Lord's Prayer is not a cursory, dear God. It's an invitation to step out of this world and into the realm of heaven where we see things the way they really are. That is a powerful way to start a prayer. This prayer, this is what it means to follow me as your rabbi. This prayer is an act of saying, I want to step into heaven for a moment and and join reality the way it really is with the, the veil of earth torn away and see things as they are meant to be. Okay, that's line number one. Line number two, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So, so now I, I've taken the, the first step into the glories of the heaven to join the angels in singing holy, holy, holy is the name of the Lord. And now I invite heaven onto earth. In, in the heavens, there will be no sickness and no disease and no pain. And I want that to come to the earth. In the heavens, there will be no poverty. There will be no injustice. And I want that to come to the earth. In the heavens, everyone will know who Jesus is. And so I live a life to make the name of Jesus known because I want God's kingdom to come to the earth. I have stepped into the heaven to sing the praises of Jesus. And now I pray that that kingdom would become real in my life and in my world now. Do you see how intertwined the first two lines of the prayer are? Hallowed be thy name, I join the courts of heaven, and then I say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is, as your rabbi, if I were to summarize the distinctives of my ministry in a prayer, the first thing is that the veil between heaven and earth is being torn open through me. The veil that separates the world that God created and the broken world that we have is being torn in half through me. As surely as the curtain in the temple was torn in half when Jesus was crucified, opening up the border that stood between a perfect God and a sinful humanity in Jesus the boundary between heaven and earth is being torn open. What a powerful way to start a prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I gather with the angels to sing your praises. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now give us this day our daily bread. And that's the first real jarring change in the prayer. When we hear that, we think, what does that got to do? with This is just a bullet point. That has nothing to do with the first two lines. It has everything to do with the first two lines. Because a first century Jewish person would have thought immediately of one thing when he prayed, give us this day our daily bread. Do you know what it is? They would have thought of manna. They would have thought of the bread that fell from heaven when they were wandering in the wilderness, escaping slavery in Egypt and headed towards their homeland, their promised land, Israel. And when they were out in the desert and could have starved to death, God made something like bread fall from the sky and they picked it up and they said, what is it? Which in Hebrew is manna. And so they named it manna. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, they would have immediately thought, of the bread that fell from heaven in the desert. Because there was a, a specific obligation given to the Hebrews in the desert. When the bread falls from heaven, only pick up enough for today. Don't pick up more for tomorrow because it will rot overnight. You are gonna live in a state of perpetual dependence on the God who will provide for you. So don't collect enough for the next day, except on the day before the Sabbath. You can collect two days worth on the day before the Sabbath so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. But other than that, you are going to get exactly what you need for today so that you are absolutely provided for without worry by God. As long as you trust him, and don't start thinking about whether or not he's going to do it tomorrow. Okay? So, so here's how the prayer goes. 
I want to join the courts of heaven to sing holy, holy, holy is your name. I want to invite heaven to earth so that my world is transformed to look more like the kingdom of God. And because of that, I will now trust that the kingdom of heaven is more powerful than the kingdom of the earth and God can provide for me in ways that I could not provide for myself. I no longer need to worry about whether or not I will be able to sustain myself today because I, the, the veil between earth and heaven is torn open and I can trust that God will provide for me today. Give us this day our daily bread is a powerful prayer because it doesn't just say feed me today. It says feed me in a way that forces me to absolutely depend on you day in and day out the way the Hebrews did in the desert more than a thousand years ago. The veil between heaven and earth is being torn open and that requires us to take a step of faith and say, if there is going to be no veil, if there is going to be no separation, Jesus, I will now trust that you're going to provide for me and I'm not going to chase after the wealth of this world and I'm not going to worship the achievement God and try to see how many trophies I can get in my trophy case and I'm not going to live to impress people and be worried about what they think of me. I'm going to live in utter dependence on you, Jesus, knowing that you're a good God who will provide for me every day. What a powerful prayer. And we're only on line three. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Bring your kingdom down to the earth and rain down the daily sustenance that we need. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The, the word for debt here in Matthew is ophelema, which literally is the word debt. It is a financial debt. In all the stories that Jesus tells about somebody who is in debt to somebody else and then they were forgiven, the word is ophelema. They're using the same word. It is a financial debt. The only other interpretation of that is a debt that's a duty that you owe to somebody. Like if you make a promise, then you're indebted because you have to fulfill the promise. It does not translate sin. This passage does not say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's not what this word is. In the, the passage in Luke 11, where Jesus teaches the, the Lord's prayer, uh, where he teaches his prayer, it uses a different word here. It uses the word amartion, which is often translated sin, but it does not mean sin the way you hear sin when I say sin. Because when I say sin, you're picturing a list of bad behaviors, and that's not what amartion is. Amartion is any error at all. If I say two plus two is five, that's amartion. It's an error. Forgive us all of our errors, any, any place we've gone wrong. And you can translate that sin, but just understand that the passage is not saying, uh, if, if, if we were broker out a deal here, maybe you can um, uh, forgive me all my wrongs if I try really, really hard to forgive the people who've wronged me and then we'll barter a deal because God's withholding of his love if we don't do that. That, that's really not what he's after here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Exactly like the line before it would have immediately recalled to the mind of a first century Jewish person, a part of their history. And all of them would have known this immediately. If you said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, they would have said, like the year of Jubilee. This was written into their economy. This was written into their culture. Every 50 years, they celebrated the year of Jubilee, which is a year in which all debts are canceled. We have nothing like this in our modern day world. There is no culture that practices it this way. On the 50th year, if you had sold property to somebody, 
they gave it back. It was only a rental because it's your property. And in the 50th year, it comes back to you. If someone had made themselves an indentured servant, made themselves a slave to somebody in order to pay off a debt or whatever, in the 50th year, they're, they're set free. All the slaves are set free every 50th year in the year of Jubilee. All indentured servants who have indebted themselves to somebody else and paying it off with work are set free in the 50th year. When you say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, every first century Jewish person would have said, oh, like in the year of Jubilee. Because God wanted written into the economy of his people a kind of freedom that comes from recognizing one another as brothers and sisters. And you do not hold your brothers and sisters in debt forever. You do not hold your brothers and sisters under the weight of guilt, under the weight of obligation, under the weight of, of, of a loan that they cannot pay back. In the 50th year, you cancel it. Look at how the prayer holds together. I step up into heaven. Heaven comes down to me. That veil is now being torn so I can trust God to rain down daily sustenance for me in a way that I depend on him every day and not on this world. And as a consequence, I will not look to this world to sustain me. If, if someone has wronged me, I'm not gonna go try to get revenge on them. I'm not gonna go try to get back what they took from me because I trust that with the veil between heaven and earth gone, God will sustain me in ways that I don't need to worry about anymore. When, when, uh, when Jesus walked the earth, he said, if somebody steals your jacket from you, don't go get it back. Give them your shirt too. Don't take uh, fellow members of the family of faith to court if they wrong you. Just settle it between yourselves quickly. Don't get revenge. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Don't go get the revenge that you think you deserve because you have now stepped into a place where heaven is providing for you. You're living into the kingdom of heaven and not into the kingdom of this world. And you're not gonna look to this world to provide for you. You're not gonna look to this world for your daily bread. You're not gonna look to this world to repay your debts. So if, if someone owes you, you cancel the debts. And in the same way, your debts will be canceled. This is a, a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus because he would die for us to pay for our sins, to cancel our debts to heaven. And because he would pay that great debt for us at so high a cost, don't hold other people indebted to you. Live a life of grace. Uh, I remember when I was a youth pastor uh, many years ago, and I used to be frustrated that uh, students would forget to pay bills or they'd go on a mission trip and they'd never pay the last payment they owed. And, uh, uh, an older and wiser pastor who had been a youth pastor in his younger years told me, he goes, you know, you just have to kind of let that go. And it's not because you want to teach kids irresponsibility. It's because if you live a life trying to settle the score, you're going to be a bitter person. So, so don't run around trying to settle every score. You, you kind of have to live into grace and let God take care of you. Let, let God provide for you. I, I experienced this a few years ago. Uh, somebody crashed into uh, my, little, my little Prius at a stoplight, ran into me from behind at a stoplight, and then told the insurance company that I had stopped and backed into them, like some kind of insurance scam, because that's what I do. And so his insurance company refused to pay for the damage that he did to my car, because he lied to them. And I could have gotten legalistic. And instead, when I realized what he had done, I sent him a text, and I invited him to church. And I never heard another word from him. But my next door neighbor heard the story and took pity on me. And my next door neighbor said, you know, I have an auctioneer's license and I can get you a great deal 
on a new car. Uh, and I, God upgraded my car game in that exchange. <laughs> and it was, it was, I think, because in that moment, I honestly said, I'm, I'm just not going to try to get even here. There's no point. I'm going to trust God to take care of what I need. And I'm not going to go chasing the world to repay the debts that I think it owes me. Even if it really does. Even if there really are irresponsible people running out around there not paying their debts. I'm not going to chase them down. I'm just going to turn to heaven. And when we do that, God takes care of us. What a powerful prayer. This is Jesus saying, as your rabbi, I'm going to teach you a prayer that is indicative of the, the markers of my ministry. Step up into heaven and see the world the way it really is with me at the center of it. Invite my kingdom to come down into your life and let me provide for you everything you need day to day. You don't have to store up. You don't have to worry. Just let me take care of you. And then don't go chasing after the world to get even, to get what you deserve back. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. We're going to cancel their debts and you cancel ours. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that, again, is reminiscent of a passage from the Hebrew Scriptures that every good Jewish person would have recognized. This is from Psalm 140 and 141. And if you read them and then read the Lord's Prayer, you'll say, oh, obviously that is what Jesus was referring to. Psalm 141 at verse 1 says, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. What is that? That's a prayer. When I, when I call to you, thy kingdom come. Come quickly to me. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. That's a description of someone in the temple worshiping God, exactly like the Lord's Prayer invites us to do when we step into the heavens to sing, holy is the name of God, send your kingdom down. This is describing an event of worship and prayer, which is exactly what Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Prayer. It goes on. Do, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. This, this prayer here, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil is a prayer that I would not be led astray nor fall victim to those who have been led astray. And you gotta know that King David was being chased around by King Saul, who was jealous of David and wanted to kill him to prevent David from becoming the king in Saul's place. And David was praying, lead me not into the day of trial. Lead me not into the day where I am tested and the evildoer gets his hands on me. Because in the Lord's Prayer now, I'm going to live in utter dependence on heaven. I'm not going to live by the principles of this earth or try to get even with this earth. And so as I make myself vulnerable, Jesus, as I live in your kingdom and not the kingdom of this world, protect me from the temptations that would lead me astray and protect me from those who would take advantage of me because I am vulnerable. And then we've added, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, which is not a bad way to end it. As we dive into this series, Encountering God, we are asking that the veil between heaven and earth would be torn open so that we might have firsthand experiences of God, so that we might encounter God and experience his presence and see his wonders. 
start saying the Lord's Prayer. Start praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. God, let that veil be torn open. Um, I do something kind of kind of silly uh, at my house before I go to bed. I have a, an Echo Dot, you know, the Amazon little robot that I'm sure is spying on all of us and taking notes on everything we do. They're like 20 bucks. It's not bougie, but it's fun technology. So I've got a little Echo Dot. And I, I found that uh, at, the, at the end of the day, as I'm, as I'm going to bed, I listen, sometimes I'll listen to some news, sometimes I'll listen to some music. But uh, often I'll say to the Echo Dot, recite the Lord's Prayer. And it will say, here's the Lord's Prayer. And it will recite the Lord's Prayer back. Uh, and I like ending the day on that note. Uh, strange thing, if you try that with your, uh, your Google, if you say, say the Lord's Prayer, you know what it says back? Google says to you, I hope you're feeling okay. That's, that's literally, try it. I will never buy a Google Pixel again. <laughs> it will not recite the Lord's Prayer to me. It tells me I need to go see a therapist or something. Um, at the end of the day, practice the habit of reflecting on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, I want to live into my citizenship in heaven. And I want it to transform the world I live in now. Provide for me in radical ways so I learn to trust in you and depend on you. And I give up my rights to take claim over this world. I forgive those who have wronged me and stolen from me. Because Jesus, you forgave me on the cross. And I'm going to live into that state of perpetual dependence on you because honestly, at the end of the day, that's all I need. That is how Jesus wants you and I to pray. Amen. Jesus, thank you for leaving us these words. May they be on our hearts. May they be on our minds. Teach us to pray them and to reflect on them and to invite your kingdom to come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.